And that's the main thing I want, you know, Jones Plantation to sort of start smacking people in a direction where they start to recognize, in spite of their good intentions and what they've always believed, a whole lot of, you know, basically decent, well-intentioned people are the ones empowering literally the worst people in the world. And I want people to stop being so sure that, well, my guy would save us all. My guy is good if you, if only my ideas were put into government and politics, then everything would be fixed. No. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Hi, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com, coming to you in August of 2023. And I know what you've been thinking to yourselves recently. You've been thinking, you know, it's been a long time since I heard about that Jones Plantation movie idea that Larkin and Amanda Rose were talking about on the Corbett Report back in 2020. I wonder how that's coming. Well, if that is what you are thinking, boy, do I have some news and information for you. And more to the point, I have some people to relate that information to you, namely Larkin and Amanda Rose. Uh, Larkin, Amanda, thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having us again. Hey, Jim. All right. So uh, I guess the big news is, you know, that Jones Plantation film you guys were talking about years ago, trying to get funding and kickstarting and get off the ground. Well, it's already done. A full length, real deal, honest to God, feature film that is now available. And I guess to cut to the chase, uh, why are you listening to us talk about it when you could be watching it yourself? So I suppose we'll direct people to the film website, um, which uh, I will be linked up in the show notes so that you can just start watching the film right away. But if you are inclined to listen to a little bit about the film first, well, (laughs) here's the other place you can do it. So the film is at jonesplantationfilm.com. The film is called Jones Plantation. And if you did miss our previous conversation, let's fill in some of the blanks for people about what this movie is about, what it's based on, how it came together, and ultimately what people are going to be seeing here. Well, 12 years? I don't even remember how many years. Lots of years ago, (laughs) I made a short little animated thing that's only like 10 or 12 minutes long that used the allegory of a slave plantation to sort of demonstrate some things about the world today. And it doesn't count as a spoiler to say this because you find this out very early on, whether you're watching the animated version or the the movie. Basically, there's the Antebellum South slave plantation and the plantation owner is having some trouble with his slaves getting uppity and and disobedient and, and all that unfortunate stuff unfortunate if you happen to be psychotic slave owner fortunate if you like freedom but whatever and so he calls in a consultant of sorts to teach him how to better manage his human livestock in a way that isn't just about brute force because brute force will only get you so far Um, If you're trying to control these strange creatures called human beings who tend to like freedom to one degree or another. And so it basically goes through the story of how this consultant, Mr. Smith, teaches Mr. Jones a much more effective way to enslave people that isn't just about physical threat and reward. And I guess that's, you know, that's the short version. There's lots of details we can get into, but that's sort of the... The crash course um, description. Our director very much wants people to understand that this movie, he wants it to sort of mark the beginning of a genre that he hopes will be the first, 
you know, one of the first of its kind, but he says, you know, this is like at the vanguard of the American dissident cinema movement. And he wants dissident cinema to become a thing. And hopefully this will inspire more people. So if you want to know like the genre, this is starting its own We're genre. Making this our is own genre. dissident <laughs> cinema. That's the genre this is in. And the type of movie I would call it, I would say psychological allegory is what this is. You know, I'm all for the idea of dissident cinema, so I certainly hope that this can uh, start a, uh, a trend and a movement. And hey, if if recent events are anything to go by, it seems that independent uh, films can have a very large outsized effect even at the box office if people are behind them and supporting the message of the movie, like Sound of Freedom, of course, as we've seen over the course of this past summer. So let's yep. see if uh, Jones Plantation or similar films can uh, can similarly spark something in the, uh, the the minds of men and women out there. Um, all right, let's so let's pick it up from there. So again, if people haven't seen the original short animation, I, I think they should go back and at least familiarize themselves with that because that's sort of the the general story in a nutshell. And it's obviously an allegorical tale, as you say, about a plantation owner trying to find a better way to manage the slaves on his plantation by convincing them, you're not slaves anymore. You're workers. You're co-owners of this plantation project with me. And uh, I, I think people in my audience, regardless of whether they've seen that or not, will will already understand what this is talking about, what this is implying, what this is showing about the world that we're living in. And of course, I would assume that's ultimately the point of this this story, this movie. It's not about what happened hundreds of years ago. It's about what is happening right now, and it's about decontextualizing that so that people can see it in a way that they've never seen it before. But let's start talking about some of the deeper th the themes and meanings of this movie. Um, first, I'd be interested to hear from your perspective, Larkin, developing that 12-minute little short animation into a feature-length film script must have been quite the task. And I don't mean that in the sense of must be quite a task to write all of that, you know, an, a two-hour movie. No, I imagine it probably was, I, I, I'm going to guess, was much bigger at some point and probably had to be chopped down. You know, because I can imagine you could, you could really go to town with this and really elaborate. But uh, tell us about that process of expanding this uh, uh, script out. Yeah, exactly right. Because it was there, the... The moment that Andrew, the director, had the idea of making and doing it, first it was, maybe we should make a little short thing out of it. And I was like, this isn't going to fit in short. Then he said, feature film. And yeah, the problem wasn't getting enough to fill a normal feature film. It was getting it down to a normal feature film. I believe the first, the first draft of the script would have been about a three-hour movie. <laughs> because there are so yeah. many things that can be explained and and illustrated to people in the context of this particular plot that, I mean, if we had the money, we could make it a mini-series, <laughs> whatever else. Um, but we settled on, okay, we'll make one movie, but it's going to be full length. But there are so many things about psychology and the way authoritarianism works and the way tyrants actually rise to power, not the, the comic book version. And like you said, the fact that it's put in the form of a, a fictional story, different time, different place, well, different place for some of us, same place for some of us, um, makes it so that you can tell the story and people don't sort of feel personally on edge or attacked or defensive. It's just, this is a story about something that has nothing to do with you. And along the way, they figure out, oh, this has everything to do with us. <laughs> like this, every piece of this is about 
what's going on now. And so my, my first book, it's out of print at the moment, I'm working on the second edition, was called How to Be a Successful Tyrant, um, the Megalomaniac Manifesto, which describes how tyranny actually happens, not the, the Hollywood or the comic book version of tyrants, but how do nasty people actually gain power. And of course, you know, people who listen to your channel have had many doses and understanding what they actually do from the Prussian indoctrination system and Edward Bernays and all the, the, the mental manipulations. So to say there was plenty of material to work from to make a script is a massive understatement. There's about 10,000 years worth of <laughs> material to work from. So trying to boil it down to, to I think it's really dang concentrated the amount of stuff we got in there, the, the amount of points and yeah. little subplots and stuff. Um, but yeah, chiseling it down to that size. And in fact, the shooting script that we had when we went to shoot it would have been another 30 or 40 minutes on top. So it got chopped down in the process of shooting, too. Yeah, so you it, were doing rewrites like every night, every night that you were because set. it we you know, we know a lot of people's attention span is already <laughs> you know, not great. And so we needed to keep it. It's I think it, it, the runtime now is 110 minutes, so it's not even two hours. And to me and to a lot of people I've talked to, it doesn't even feel that long. Um, and it I mean, you can I'm dying to hear your <laughs> reaction and your assessment of it. Oh, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, uh, yeah, two hours, really? It didn't feel like that to me at all. It was uh, yeah, it definitely it seems very fast moving and condensed and there's so much that takes place uh, it is impressive how much you managed to cram into here um and i do appreciate that but uh you, you know it's interesting to think of it from the allegorical perspective because this has got to be the only film or story in 2023 that's dealing about antebellum south and a plantation that really has nothing to do with slavery in that sense but is more about an allegory about a the political moment of our times, but not in the, not in the racial sense that I think would be, uh, I'm assuming most of the audience will be trying to see this through the prism through in, in a way. I wonder, uh, I wonder if that will be distracting to the audience because it, the idea that this will be a movie about a plantation that isn't fundamentally about racism. It's about a different type of political oppression is, <laughs> I don't know. It might be, might be distracting for some audiences. Well, it's funny because I think it's going to sort of fly under the radar for a lot of people who will assume, oh, another movie about how bad slavery is. And like, I, I think most sane people know that slavery is really, 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 really bad already. But if they start watching it thinking it's going to be the same thing they've seen in, you know, 10 other slave movies, I'm okay with that. And pretty early on, um, you'll probably know what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to be specific to do a spoiler. Pretty early on, you realize, oh, this isn't about black and white. This isn't even about race. It's not about the black people are all good and the white people are all bad. Um, right, although, right. you know, it takes place on a slave plantation. None of the white people are very good in it because generally speaking, you know, you're not going to be a good person in that setting and not try to do something about it. But yeah, very early on, I think people are going to notice, whoa, this is not what I was expecting to see. And this is, you know, getting into areas of, of thought that have nothing to do with 
what you know 99% of slave movies are actually about which doesn't really need to be retold if you ask me because yeah we know that's evil nobody's saying that's good but there's a depth way more important than just these people were mean to those people yeah i think a lot of people are going to be sort of it's like a lot of film experiences some of the most famous films out there that were done by some of the most iconic or weird directors it the film genre is like slapping you in the face with what it is as you're going along you're like i don't know what what film am i watching what is this and then like you're kind of getting like jarred around and then you're sort of going oh this oh this and those films tend to be more impactful because people have to like kind of curtail their expectations and actually stay present in the moment and stop expecting it to be something and just let it be what it is. And then they want to go back and rewatch it because they know that while they were getting slapped around, they weren't processing all the details. So then they want to go back and watch it again. So I, I feel like for a lot of people, if this isn't what they're expecting, they'll have that uncomfortable sort of shifting as they're watching it. Like, wait, this isn't about, wait, this isn't slavery. Okay, wait, what? Like, what's going on? And, and, and so the, it'll kind of make them have to, like, kind of back up, rewind, and go, wait, what am I watching? Watch? And, yeah, there's a number of things in the film that sort of, like, can hit you upside the head with a two-by-four when you're not expecting, like, what's going on? What is happening? <laughs> um, which I really, and I didn't, I didn't originally envision that. Like when I first started it, I was sort of picturing it as a, a, a serious drama. And that was kind of it, just a period piece thing. And Andrew really made it into something way more, way more unique and, and sort of cult classic ish for lack of a better term yeah, that it has a bunch of weird stuff to it that it isn't just, Oh, here's some tale of, you know, horrible suffering and injustice. I, I really like how it came out, and you know, we'll, we'll wait and see how how much everybody else likes how it came out. But I love that it. I think it's going to catch the viewer off guard, just kind of over and over again with with <laughs> things that happen. To it. Some of them pretty weird too. Well, and I think one of the things that people should know if they have not seen the movie yet is on the on the budget that we were on. Andrew was like, I don't think our director was like, I don't think we can compete well at all with this budget in the genre of serious period piece films. And this is kind of going to be a different vibe film and a different type of story anyway. So let's go for its own weird genre and not bother trying to compete there because this is an indie film on a indie budget. <laughs> and I think we accomplished weird pretty well. Yeah, but I, I, again, I wouldn't want to oversell it for people who haven't seen the film. I think there are elements of the period drama that that do work, but yeah, there are those moments that are also sort of out of left field and wow, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and I like the way that the film leads people into the allegory because I, I imagine one of the fine lines that you have to walk is not to beat people over the head with the point. Okay, here is the point and here is the person that represents this and here is the person that represents that. I mean, a good, a good way of doing this, I think, would be to flesh out the drama as real characters in real situations. And uh, I think there's, there's a nice way of leading people into it before, um, before they start to realize essentially what this is really about. And I like the way that that happens. But, uh, but then there are things that, and, uh, Hopefully not a spoiler, but for example, the uh, political campaign ads that uh, that uh, sneak in here and other such things that really surprise people. Talk about that uh, that line of uh, of concealing and then revealing the real message of the movie. That it, it's it's so funny how much 
adversity and limited resources is the mother of invention. <laughs> like, I know that's not a saying that rolls off the tongue nicely, but those campaign ads were actually the, the idea of Andrew because we didn't have enough footage from certain things to do it the way it was originally written in the script. And he's like, yep. how do we convey this? And so there, there was a lot of that where we were forced to like make it up on the fly. Um, but that, that was his idea. And when he first said that, I was like, what? Because when you hear somebody just say the words, it's like in the middle of a mood, what are you talking about? <laughs> but then when you see it, it's, I mean, it, 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 like there've been several screenings and every time people just burst out laughing which is another thing that, that I didn't expect when I started writing the script is there are parts of it that are actually funny while not at all downplaying the evil. It's not, you know, there, there's plenty of depiction of the true evil of authoritarianism, but somehow making it this weird, quirky thing that can be funny on occasion, like that's, I did not picture that, you know, when I first sat down to, to write the script, but I, I love some of the you know, half accidental things that we had to come up with to, to make it work along the way. But that's, you know, that's a fine example of by then pretty much everybody, you know, they're having the behind the scenes discussion of like you two are going to, you know, have your battle to see who can win the hearts and minds of the human livestock out there. Um, I can say that because the trailer says that shows <laughs> that line. So that doesn't count as a spoiler. But then when you hear it and you just get hit in the face with how obviously, yeah, this is about right now, I think people literally laugh because it's so obviously a condemnation of the ridiculous stuff people are watching right now and falling for right now that that nobody has to, like, tell them, like, nobody's going to go, what? What do you mean? By the time it gets there, it's like, yeah, obviously this is about this. And like, all I have to do is say the phrase hair sniffing. <laughs> <laughs> that like, too. All I have to do, and like the whole theater, that's the fun thing about the theater experience. Like being in Tempe, Arizona with 300 people in a theater and just the whole theater erupts and you're like, that's because there's not a single person in here that doesn't get that joke. <laughs> they all know. But it, the, the thing I love about the movie is that so far from the from the feedback we've had from people who, you know, they don't know me and they didn't know about this. Like, I'm getting most of this secondhand from somebody who like, hey, I showed this to my family and my friends and whatever, is nobody has to feel defensive about it because it's not saying you're the bad, like, you're the villain, unless somebody's like, all the way a psychopath. Hey, I don't like how this portrays psychopath. Hey, I'm sympathetic <laughs> with the villain here. Hey, I think you made Mr. Smith out to be the bad guy. Um, yeah, kind of. But every sane person, I'll just put it that way, can just watch it as a fictional story. And at the same time, they can't miss the parallels. Even if they're sort of, well, I tend to vote for this one. And like all these groups of people who normally would be mad at each other, like, you know, the, the, the left and the right screaming at each other, your guys, this horrible, corrupt, blah, blah, blah. I think they can literally both watch this movie side by side and laugh at the same things and then hopefully walk out of the theater going, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I recognize yeah. us in that movie yeah. and we weren't the heroes and we didn't know what the hell was going like, on. You know, well, the, the, per the political ads are a per perfect example of the personal attack thing. Like, everyone's going to kind of recognize, like, yeah, like everyone that still voted in the last few elections like 
there's a significant percentage of those people like holding their nose and voting because they thought that <laughs> the vote might do something, but they could just barely get themselves to choke down voting for their <laughs> own candidate because they know that they're all screwed. <laughs> You're like, yeah, it, it. I mean, it is an interesting question to think who. I wonder who the average person would be identifying with in this film, because I know who I personally would identify with. And unfortunately, it doesn't turn out well for that character. But um, but yeah, I wonder what the average Joe Normie would be would be looking at. And that's one of the weird things that I, I wanted. Like, I, I understood that early on. One of the things I want a lot of viewers to feel is not something that any other movie tries to make them feel, which is I want them to not be sure they would have been on the right side. Like the normal feel good movie is rah, 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 the underdog, underdog one. Yay. What's for dinner? I want people walking out of there going, I probably would have been one of the ones who fell for this and was cheering against the only people trying to like help me. Um, and so I actually sort of want people slightly traumatized in that way. And I want the ideas rattling around inside their heads afterwards to realize like how much of that am I on the wrong side of while feeling all, you know, self-righteous and, and, you know, happily condemning the only people around who are actually like on my side and looking out for me. And instead, I'm like bickering, I'm falling for all the Miss, Mr. Smith stuff and bickering yeah. over which guy I want running things. I think that's what sets this, this movie apart a little bit is that it like it's going to make people not sure, like just the average person that watches it is going to be not sure which side they would fall on. And that's one of my complaints against some of the, even the like kind of good... Uh, big budget Hollywood movies that were like, you know, anti-authority in a way and pro the underdog. My complaint with them, like a great example is The Hunger Games, is the way that it's directed, the way that it's shot, the way that the story's told. The average person goes, yeah, go Katniss. And then they go home and they vote because they're very comfortable assuming that they're going to, they would be Katniss in that world. They're obviously Katniss because the way it's written, you're not really made to see that really the average American should be identifying with the people in the capital, not with Katniss, because we'd actually more be likely to be the people in the capital that are like really overdone in their makeup and delusional and have no idea what's going on in Katniss's world. But the way it's written, everyone's like, yeah, go Katniss. And I identify as Katniss. I am Katniss, the underdog. And it's like, mm. yeah. And a, a very sad reality is if all the decent people actually sided with freedom we wouldn't have any of the problems we have now <laughs> they yeah. don't yeah. most of yeah. the decent people are accidentally supporting evil that because they don't know how the games work and that's the main thing i want you know jones plantation to sort of start smacking people in a direction where they start to recognize in spite of their good intentions and what they've always believed a whole lot of you know basically decent well-intentioned people are the ones empowering literally the worst people in the world yep. and i want people to stop being so yep. sure that yep. well my guy would save us all my guy is good if you if only my ideas were put into government and politics then everything would be fixed no exactly and literally the worst people in the world is a good good thing to add there because although yeah some of this is lighthearted and fun but there are really quite dark moments in this movie that uh, you don't shy yeah, away from the evil nature of what's going on here and i i do appreciate that because i think the the audience needs to be confronted with that to some extent yeah yeah and it's even 
I'll just I'll say this part because this part's in the trailer too, where where Mr. Smith is explaining Mr. Jones. If you want real power, you have to be willing to do what most people consider unthinkable, and then he demonstrates that in certain ways in the movie that I won't specify at the moment. But I think that's one of the things that normal people, and you know, you've talked about this yourself on your show. That normal people have a really hard time imagining that other things that look like human beings could be that psychotic and that callous and that lacking in empathy that they would literally commit mass murder if they thought they might get a political benefit out of it. And if all the decent people go, well, they wouldn't do that. They at least, they at least mean well. And we're just voting between like two different visions of how blah, blah, blah. If the decent people can't comprehend just how psycho and nasty people can be if if it really is unthinkable to them what those in power are capable of that's that mr smith says that's our greatest advantage that most people can't comprehend that people like him even exist and i want people to be shocked into thinking maybe the guy i voted for really is capable of he isn't just he means well but he doesn't have the best plan or like some weird, dumb little corruption, like they get charged with, you had boxes of paper in the wrong place. Like, if you think that's the worst they do, you really don't understand how government works. And so or I, if you think that they're on different sides, like the left and right yeah. are really on against each other, and it's like the whole thing of there, this is a, this is a game, and there's a yeah. theater going on here. And in the original, in the animated version, you only get the perspective from the. Um, from the workers watching what's going on on the porch. Well, in the movie, because we have way more time to develop characters and what's going on, you get what they see, and then you get the discussions happening behind closed doors. So you get to see the whole game, and I hope people start to realize, yeah, our whole lives we've gotten to see this part of what they say when they're in front of a camera and a microphone. <laughs> right. But maybe some of this we're seeing in the movie, that's what's actually happening behind closed doors in between when they come out and spew their BS at us. Yeah, they're actually doing that stuff. And just to just to get people started in the direction of being able to think about that, basically making the unthinkable into the thinkable for people so they start to consider the possibility, could it really be this messed up? Yep, could be, and it is. All right, um... Well, okay, I don't want to spoil too much of this by talking about it before people see it. So I hope people will go see it, jonesplantationfilm.com, and you can you can see the uh, the movie there, and I hope people will do so. But um, let's talk about the, the production aspect of this, because uh, it, uh, as you say, budgetary restraints are, it's not going to compete with some Hollywood blockbuster with a $100 million budget, but it it is a real deal feature film and I can appreciate, although I've never made one myself, I can appreciate how much effort goes into this. And I think one of the things that really helps pull this off in a really incredible and effective way is the really stellar cast that, uh, that takes uh, part in this. And tell us about some of the people involved in this production. Yeah. And, and that was awesome. And there were so many things about this that were just amazing. And, Part of me wants to not admit it until people see it, because then they hear, like, you pulled it off with that. For example, the cast, I, Andrew and I didn't meet most of the cast in person until we were at the shoot. And the shoot was 17 days for the whole movie. It was two and a half weeks. Most of us hadn't met each other in person. He did phone interviews, and they sent in, in video auditions. 
And most of them, they had no idea who I was or, or anything about, you know, volunteerism or all that. And, but they got the script and they saw, thought, yeah, this looks cool. And, and so to me, one of the first sort of test audiences was the actors themselves reading the script and going, they don't know Larkin. yeah, they don't, they don't know anything about me, which made it fun because they're, and then I, I got to, you know, because I was on set the whole time, I got to have little discussions here and there with uh, like Maurice who plays Mr. Smith and then JJ plays Samuel and little discussions here and there with, with some people on the crew and some people and, and to get their impression and to see what things connect in their brain when they're, when we're in the process of shooting the thing. But I love the fact that, you know, when I, when I write a script, it's just words on paper. There's only so much personality you can convey in text, but so many of the, the cast members, even if they had little parts, they brought it to life and made it like distinctive characters with, you know, personalities and, and making it real in a way that was just, it was so cool to watch because, you know, I would be sitting there watching them shoot a thing and go, I, I would actually check my script and go, I did write that, but holy smokes, I didn't like, this is way more realistic and believable than just the words on paper. I had to check because I'm like, did I write that? Because that back and forth sounded way more genuine in what they just filmed than in what I remember writing. And so they did such an awesome job making it real and making it human. And without that, the point would just totally fail. So these, you know, we didn't have a budget for any, you know, humongous movie stars, but the, I don't think it would have been any better if we did like everyone in the cast did such an awesome job. And um, Maurice as Mr. Smith, just the, the perfect delivery, the perfect presence of just, and when Andrew and I saw his audition video that he sent us, you know, however many, like three years ago, I guess it was only two when we were at that point, we were like, oh, he's it. He can totally be Mr. Smith. And that's really important. If you don't get Absolutely. A the movie falls, stands Smith. or falls on Mr. Smith. If he can't deliver that convincingly, the whole movie falls. And he absolutely knocks it out of the park. Absolutely stellar performance. Service. Yeah, so. he, he was awesome. And that you just can't, like, he is he is the main character, which is another weird thing. Cause in most me movies, the villain isn't the yeah, main character, right. obviously not the good guy, but he's, he is the crux of it because he's the story we're trying to tell is what's going on behind the scenes. And that isn't, that has nothing to do with the, the good guys. Like they come into it. There's the, you know, Samuel is the actual hero, but the movie is about Mr. Smith and to have that, presence and delivery and to be believable yeah without that the the, oh, the movie would have um, been pointless and then samuel was like samuel maurice w came in with his audition and the, all the auditions were done via zoom because this was during the scamdemic crap so nobody could be in person maurice's yeah. audition basically stole the part from someone we assumed was our mr smith like we actually thought we had our mr smith and then maurice sent that audition and andrew was like i dreamed mr smith this yeah guy is him this like is him. he is the guy i pictured and then samuel came in and like landed like got off the plane landed and i guess the timing of everything larkin and andrew were like you got to shoot that end scene the most serious scene in the movie and your speech like now and then like so also i guess andrew i guess um samuel actually had to do like that speech like 
three times or something and it got like rewritten like the speech he had memorized it yeah. got rewritten and handed to him like minutes before he well, had the, to do it or something like that and yeah he, like, the, the last scene the very last scene we recorded last but the most dramatic scene i won't give the specifics in a certain room with a certain other individual i think they shot that like the day jj landed uh, jj green is samuel and he was just he was so awesome at the part and yeah that the 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 final climax scene where samuel you know that's where he has the most lines in a row he he already knew yeah, the general one. thing but it was that morning that that i handed him the final version of what he had to do and he pulled it off flawlessly like three times in a row and that was like the sun was going down below the horizon and the next morning everybody was scheduled to fly out so we didn't have, you know, we didn't have no the budget time. to keep them longer or to like, we were out. Like if we didn't get that scene then right there and then there's no ending to the movie, which means there's no movie. And yeah. JJ pulled it off yeah. masterfully. And there, there was so many things like that, that just seemed like miracles that they happened at all. I was like, we have to get this shot because tomorrow we have to go over to there to do it. So it constantly felt like, you know, one deadline after another, um, and everyone had to be a miracle to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it took a bunch of miracle workers to make this movie. Yeah. There's also a dramatic scene in the, in the church, the first time they have to enforce something on somebody, I'll just put it that way. And that was, again, light was failing, we were running out of time, and uh, that was shot handheld. I think they did it two or three times, but it's like, we're just going to handhold this thing, and and do and it's a complex it's a scene that normally you have people like choreographing the steps of you go over here and it was just like just do it like it's real like that guy's getting in trouble and people are moving around and they did it like it had been rehearsed a hundred times it hadn't been rehearsed once Holy <laughs> that was crap. just ready go is, See that scene is intense do. too yeah I, and I, I was too. standing in the back of the room just being you know grouchy indentured servant but it was intense being in that room just with them shooting it because you could, they did such a good job. It was just like, oh, this is this is horrible yeah. to watch because you yeah. can feel yeah. the tension, you know, even though it's all fake. Yeah, that's interesting because now that I think about back to that scene. It's an incredibly intense scene, and to think that yeah, that they just pulled that off, you know, just with yeah. little direction is is incredible. But speaking of direction, you've mentioned him a few times. So let's talk a little bit about Andrew Treglia, the director producer of the film. Yeah, he he pulled off so many miracles. He's the reason this this happened at all, and it was it was his idea for this to happen at all. He interviewed me down in Mexico three in twenty twenty uh, yeah twenty twenty for a completely different thing. And then in our interview, I think I mentioned the the little Jones plantation thing, um, and he watched it. And then at some point, he contacted me and said, "What do you think about making this little thing into an?" First, it was make it into sort of a short. And then it very quickly turned into, like, we can't fit it in the short if we're going to need to make this a full-fledged movie. And then we did an Indiegogo just based on that. And, you know, talk about another series of miracles. You know, to have a whole bunch of people, some donating a few bucks, some donating, like, pretty big chunks. Thousands. Because we say, we want to make this movie. Like, you don't know how good it's going to be. You, I didn't know how good it was going to be. Man. Like, And I had, I didn't even know that much about andrew but we had back and forth and we had talks in some random warehouse in phoenix here he happens to live in phoenix which is handy yeah we uh, met at anarchapulco we had no idea that we were both arizonans until partway through conversation with him and we're like you're in phoenix we're in phoenix how did what okay well so, we need to do stuff then yeah That's so we started kind of throwing the script back and forth and and meeting in this warehouse and 
and starting to get visions of, of how this will, how this might go. And it didn't take long to realize the most important point by a mile is that I trust him not to butcher the message because there, there's one director in the world I would have trusted to do this. And it's Andrew. And it's not because he has a bunch of huge movies under his belt. He doesn't. It's because he understood the actual stinking point. And I, you know, I wouldn't work with anybody who didn't, you know, yeah. if it was somebody like, well, I know how to make movies, but yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, Can you, you imagine working with a, a Spielberg or something on a movie like this? You know, it's not going to end up <laughs> like this. Right. Like it would not be the well, same way. And one, um, I don't know if you know this story, but one story that I didn't know till recently is, um, like, like, uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone was given, was offered $700,000 for the script to Rocky to sell it when he was living out of his van. And he was like, no, I'm going to play Rocky in my own movie, F off. And there was a big production company, like a SAG film production company, Screen Actors Guild level, like that saw this script early on, and Andrew told us that they saw the script and that they were like, oh yes, this script is amazing. We would love it, we'll take it. We'll make it a Black Lives Matter thing. Can we just, we'll take it. And we're like, it's like no. no. Like there's no amount of money you could offer us that we're going to let you do that to this movie. You can't have our and script. And Andrew didn't bother yeah. to ask me because we're enough on board. He realized, <laughs> yeah. no, he just told this... us about it later. He's like, just so you know, if this happened, we're like, yeah, of course we would never. Yeah. No. So thanks to all the people who supported it. Andrew and I own the thing. We were in charge. We didn't have to like answer to, to some studio and argue with them about them trying to change everything. Yep. Um, like, Andrew and I had to argue a little bit about like logistics of, can we fit this in? No, this scene has to change. We're doing this on the fly, but never was there any disagreement about the message that we're actually saying. And like, that's just, it was funny because in a different interview that, that Andrew was on, he, he sort of turned to me and said, why did you trust me with this? Like, you didn't really know me. And <laughs> like, well, I, I could already tell he knew more about directing a movie than I did. And I knew he was on board with the message. And beyond that, it was just sort of taking a leap of faith. And the thing is, a huge number of people took a leap of faith to support this project yeah. without really knowing. Because making a movie, a movie can be like anything from this brilliant, awesome thing to just a totally stupid waste of time. And a whole lot of indie movies are a total stupid waste of time. So the fact that that many people are like, well, we're just going to put our trust in you and throw some money at you. And my favorite thing is is how many people um, who supported it and who didn't said, okay, I wasn't nearly expecting it to look like a real movie, and it does, and that's kind of amazing with the, the budget we have. I, I will confess even myself. I'm like, wow, this is a real deal movie. <laughs> like, well, this is awesome. <laughs> it was a pleasant surprise. And yeah, a lot of people took that leap of faith, and... Here it is. It's actually manifested in the world. Wow, things can actually happen if people support them. There, there may be a message in there. Um, but, yes, and I want to just like applause to the Liberty Movement because quite literally the Liberty Movement made this happen. So yeah, because it's without you know our budget was dinky in terms of a movie budget. It was like I, I think it was still a quarter million dollars. Yeah, it, the total at came the out to that including post production. We didn't nearly have that much at the time we were shooting. Yeah, we didn't have that. So, then. you know, to you and me, that's I assume lots of freaking money to make a movie that is not that's like the that's catering bill literally nothing. on on most big budget pictures. Yeah. 
<laughs> and so pulling that off and we shot it at, at two different locations that were one for interiors, one for exteriors. They were both former slave plantations. Um, so that gave it an extra sort of creepy authenticity being there and going, this sort of crap actually happened right stinking here. Um, but yeah, the number of miracles and the number of miracle workers includes all the people who donated it, who were just like, well, I hope you do a good job. <laughs> Here's some support. I don't know what it's going to be. It's like, yeah, I don't know either, but like, we know what the vision is we're trying to tell. And the, after the shoot, which was traumatic, I mean, Andrew and I were all both like on the brink of death from sleep deprivation stuff. Um, partly because I decided to write a novel at the same time of the Jones plantation to put what back in, wrong? right. To put back in all the scenes that don't fit in the movie. So it's, well, a, they go together, but yeah, then I got like someone doing rewrites for two or three hours of next day's shoots and then working on the novel, which the rough draft was finished by the time the shoot was finished. Well, as a writer, you were stressing out watching your script get butchered. So yeah, it was just, like, but to, I like that to be part. clear, he's like quickly trying to capture everything that's getting cut. So he's like, might as well just write the novel alongside yeah. while I'm taking this it out. It does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Put it over and it here. might account for the ornery attitude that you have as a character. I, I assume you could channel some of that on screen. <laughs> channel my grouchiness. You were so grouchy. I, I do think it's appropriate that like in the first scene, you have the director yelling at the screenwriter. Yeah. Because that's, <laughs> Jimmy Jack is, is in. Seems about right, doesn't it? Yeah. So, he, he kept telling me this whole time. He's like, there's a reason that usually writers are not allowed on set. Uh, this is one of them. <laughs> and the thing is, everything he had to do to butcher my script totally made it a better movie. So yeah, it's, it needed to But happen, it's just, but, but I wanted still, that to still be in there. It's like, okay, make a novel. Well, I'm glad to hear there is a novel version of this. When will that be available? That's that's actually available for for people to pre-order in bulk if they want because we haven't sent it. It's finished. Um, the artwork and the 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 story's all finished. It's ready to go to the printers. Um, it's thejonesplantation.com is the book where people can pre-order that. We're seeing if people want to do that beginning to see how big a pr initial printing we can do. So which I don't know how big that will or won't be, um, but that'll be going to the printers in a in a few weeks. And I don't really know of that happening before where a movie, a movie and the book come out at almost the same time and written by the same people. Like yeah, usually it's normal to have first. a book and then a movie five years yeah. later yeah. or 30 or, or the novelization of the movie by someone who had nothing to do with the movie. Or, or, right. 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 So these aren't, these aren't competing. It's the same story. Yeah. There's a few like little tweaks of the, the plot that have to happen in the novel. But, you know, obviously a novel can have way more included in it so it can get more into the, the discussions and the, the what's going through people's heads and stuff than a movie can. So everything that Andrew had to do to hack down to make it a movie, that's what needed to be to have the movie be what it needs to be. So I think the movie is very much what the movie needed to be and the novel is very much what the novel needed to be and they serve very different purposes and I'm, you know, pretty dang proud of both of them and I think they go together well. Sure. So. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to to seeing to reading the novel now. Now that I've seen the movie, but uh, I, we could talk. We could continue talking about this movie, the book, and perhaps more importantly, the underlying themes of the, these uh, productions in uh, for for many hours. But I I venture to guess that if people aren't interested yet, they probably never will be. But for those people who are interested, tell people again how they can actually watch this film. 
on jonesplantationfilm.com. Um, you go there, the movie by itself is 10 bucks, and you pay for it, and you can watch whenever, and you can go back and watch it again, and bring in your friends and enemies and <laughs> random strangers <laughs> off yeah. the street, whoever, watch it again. Um, I think for 15 bucks you get the normal version plus the director's commentary that Andrew and I um, recorded going through the whole movie and talking about some behind-the-scenes stuff, and you get to hear some of the horror stories that hopefully you couldn't tell by watching the movie, all the things we had to deal with. Um, and then for 20 bucks you get the movie and the, uh, the, the launch party thing we did with a, a short thing ahead of the movie, and then almost, I think it was an hour and a half to two hours after the movie. Q&A. Yeah, Q&A, and talking to some of the actors in it, like Maurice, Mr. Smith is there, and... Um, so if you miss the watch party on August 5th, you can still go to jonesplantationfilm.com if you didn't catch that and pay 20 bucks and be, be a part of that experience right. after the fact, the recorded experience. So that's the online thing. I should also mention the, uh, I don't know when this will come out, hopefully in time. Um, on the 26th of August, there will be a screening in Dallas. Um, and you can go to, like, if you go to my YouTube channel, I have the links under every video. Um because we'll be having a screening there and not just showing the movie, but Andrew and I will be there and you'll be there. I'll be there. Uh, Mr. Smith or Mr. Jones will be there. And I think some of the other cast will be there. I'm not, I'm not saying their names because I'm not sure how many others are going to be there, but Lee Gallman who played, who did an awesome job of being Mr. Jones. He'll be there. He's also a great uh, cast member to mention because he did a spectacular job as Mr. Jones and he has no prior acting experience. Yeah. He just, yeah. what? Are you yes. serious? No way. No, like he was just like, None. "What? You are Mr. Jones. Why are you so good at this?" Yeah, he had he wow. has a pod he had a podcast he has a podcast called The Quash, and so he's he's one of the few cast members who actually like you know was already on the same page and he knows who I am and stuff like that. But he had never acted before, and Andrew chose him, and he was just freaking amazing. Such a memorable yeah, character. Absolutely, that is mind blowing to hear. Honestly, that is an incredible first performance. Yeah, right. And the, so good. That same tense scene we were talking about. He and I basically wrote that on the drive over to the set in the morning because he was my ride because I didn't have a car. It's like a half hour drive. So we're like, well, what if you do this way and. So, and he delivered that flawlessly and yet he had no experience. So there's, there's so much about this that it's, you know, it's kind of amazing we pulled it off, but I think a lot of people aren't going to be able to tell all the things that we didn't have going for us, but somehow miraculously worked. And <laughs> right. our Mr. Jones was definitely one of them that I didn't know he could act, but he didn't outstanding. Amazing. Job. Yeah. Well, sometimes the stars align and apparently they did for this production. So Excellent. Good. I hope people will check it out. And uh, obviously the links will be in the show notes for people to do so if they uh, if they didn't catch them as we as we plug them here. But uh, anything else you'd like to leave the audience with before we go? I. I obviously don't expect people to be eager to show somebody else a movie if they haven't seen it. So for all the people sort of on board already or, you know, who know who I am and know who you are and, you know, you have, <laughs> you know, this audience with a bunch of people pretty aware of stuff that most of the world isn't. What I really hope is like, I hope they think it's really cool and have fun watching it. But what I really hope is they see the power in having the rest of the world see this thing to start them thinking about things they don't usually think about, start them questioning stuff and having discussions. So uh, my first sort of hope is that lots of pro freedom people watching go rah, 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 that was awesome and we're seeing a bunch of that but my second way more important hope 
is those same people go, I want to see what all my neighbors think of this and my family and friends, because I think it's actually a way to introduce some of these ideas to people in a way that doesn't have to make them defensive and feel attacked. It's just a fictional story. And we've already gotten some of the feedback. So I, I really hope people like like it enough and see the the potential there to, to spread it around to everybody they know, friends, enemies, acquaintances, strangers. And also, don't forget to hashtag, we all live on Jones Plantation. <laughs> yep. All right. That's our tagline, and that's what will make people want to watch it. If they're like, what's it about? You could just smirk, <laughs> wink, and be like, we all live on Jones Plantation. <laughs> And that's all you get. Excellent. All right. Good words to end it on. Uh, thank you guys for taking the time to do this. I'm I'm excited to to hear uh, how people receive this and how it how it grows from here. I really do hope this is the start of some incredible new trend in dissident American cinema. But it's up to people out there to make that happen or not make it happen. So uh, let's leave it in their hands. Uh, Amanda Larkin, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. You can control a man. For a period with brute violence, but you cannot truly own a man unless he thinks your word is law and that he must obey and is virtuous for doing so. We are losing money. A little more every month that goes by with, with no end in sight. And they can sense weakness and they are gonna smell blood like a gator to chum. They're gonna kill us both. Mr. Scott said this man is a miracle worker. I think he can help us. You're a Nick. Good people, good people. My name is Mr. Smith. As of this very moment, you are now all free. Free at last. From now on, we are all in this together. This plantation will run on equality. <laughs> I have created something called Jones Plantation Critics. We're gonna keep them up to their ears in debt. Jimmy Jack will now be in charge of our new security team to protect this plantation and to serve all of you. You two are gonna have a little contest to see who can win the hearts and minds of the human livestock out there. Bo Jones! Most people are weak-minded to wield real power. You must be willing to do what most consider unthinkable. What most people consider to be unthinkable is that men like you even exist. That's our greatest advantage. As free people, we work together for mutual benefits, blessing our love and loyalty to John's plantation. We are not free. I ain't no slave. Ah, they have tricked you into thinking that choosing your own master is the same as being free. You offer them a truth that they don't want. They want to feel safe. There's a dark thing going on this plantation. Every man deserves freedom. But freedom isn't free. I'm Nathaniel Jones, and I approve this message. God bless you. God bless this glorious... Toot-loo! <laughs> <laughs>